Ephesians chapter 6, we again will pick up uh, reading in verse 14 this morning as we begin. And it begins as Paul is writing to the church. He says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that the words may be given to me in the opening my, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So we come to the conclusion of this study of this letter to the church at Ephesus. We remember the exhortations that Paul has given to the church. Exhortations to be bold, to have confidence, to know the power of the gospel. The gospel that has brought us from death to life that we see so explicitly pointed out in Ephesians chapter 2. The exhortations to no longer go about, as, go about this life as people who have no purpose, who have no direction, but to remember that we have been raised to a new life. We have been raised from our folly. We have been redeemed by the power and the glory of the gospel at work in and at work through us. We remember the church at Ephesus is a church that has experienced great persecution. They're not a church that's been in a time of peace. They're not a church that's been in a period of vacationing. Remember we, we talked talked about this at great length last week, but there are churches that have been in a period of great persecution. There are churches that has grown exponentially. There are churches that has grown well, and it's had a negative impact on the economy because it's an economy that has been about making idols. It's an economy that's been about worshiping false gods, and when all of a sudden the the gospel impacts the lives of the people around them. They, they start, stop worshiping the false gods. And so when your economy is based on making idols, making false gods, and all of a sudden you have people repenting and believing in Jesus... Well, then you no longer worship the false gods. And so their faith has had a negative impact on the economy. Well, the city leaders and those who are part of the business says, okay, we're done with this church. We have to uh, get rid of them. They're, they're, they're negatively impacting our ability to make money. They're negatively impacting our ability to have a, have a good life. They're negatively impacting our ability to be prosperous in this life. And so they've been persecuted for, for growing as a church. They've been persecuted for growing in their faith and for growing in their discipleship, for impacting the, the city around them, for impacting their neighbor, for the very things that we've been praying about as a church this morning for, for, for growing in discipleship in our neighborhoods, for growing in discipleship in our, in our homes, for growing in discipleships as a city, for growing in, in discipleship across our state. They were doing that as a church in Ephesus and they and the very impact of that has, has negatively impacted, uh, impacted their, their culture and negatively impacted their economy. And, and persecution has grown out of that. And so they've become downcast. And they, they've, they've wondered. So not only are they downcast in their persecution, but they're downcast and realizing, hey, our pastor is in prison in Rome. So not only are, are, are we being persecuted, but the guy who is, who's led us, the guy who planted us as a church is in prison in Rome. So where is God in this question? What is God doing? And so in and, and response to this, Paul has written this letter to the church in Ephesus saying, remember the boldness of the gospel. Remember to the saints. Remember he, he, he specifically points out you are saints. You are set apart. You are to be different. You are to live life differently. You are to be, you are put together for the purpose. Remember in Ephesians chapter 4, for the purpose of growing together in unity. 
and maturity and knowledge and the fullness of maturity in and through Christ and unity and love. It is in this that we are to be a people who are, are not about what? We're not about gossiping because if we're growing together in maturity, even when we face persecution, we don't turn against each other. We don't turn against the church. We don't slander each other. Why? Because we are one. We are one family. We are one body. We've been raised from death to life. And in this new life, what? We are one family. Because we are what? We are the children of God. So we are now one people. It's no longer about our blood or familial identity in this world, but it's about our identity in Christ. It's about our identity in the kingdom of heaven. When we read Matthew chapter 6, it says, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. If we identify with the kingdom of heaven, then we are no longer necessarily identifying with our family here, right? Because we are now identifying under the kingdom of heaven. It is about who we are in and through Christ. So we don't gossip about each other. We don't slander each other. We don't tear each other down. But rather we are about loving each other. We're about edifying each other. We're about urging each other on in the gospel. So that when we see each other in the battle, when we see each other facing persecution, we are loving and building each other up and pushing each other on towards the gospel, seeking the glory of the kingdom here and now in our lives and in the lives of those around us, knowing that our lives do what? Our lives display the kingdom of heaven in this world. So our lives are about displaying the kingdom of heaven while we are living in darkness and while we are living in a period and in the life of, or in this world of evil, which is what we see uh, illustrated here in Ephesians chapter 6, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. So the message of Ephesians is a message of the glory of God made visible to the world through suffering, through persecution, through warfare, through all that the church experiences in this world. We have one purpose. One purpose, to display the justice and righteousness of God to the world. We display God to the world. Think about that. Our lives as a church, our lives as followers of Jesus, our lives as individuals, is to display God to the world, to display the justice and righteousness of God to the world by the way that we live, by the way we interact with each other. So think about that for a moment. The outside world sees God through how we love each other. The outside world sees God by how we interact with each other, by how we communicate, by how we do life. So if we're in here fighting and bickering and gossiping and slandering and, and doing all this type of stuff, if we go to lunch and we have lunch with each other, we're sitting around a table at the Village Inn and we have a table of six of us and we're at one of those big round tables and all we do is sit around and gossip and slander and tear down other people who are in this room, how do you think the outside world thinks about us? Well, they're no different than we are. Matter of fact, we're nicer than they are. The outside world sees God. We display God to the world. We display God to the world by the way we interact with each other and by how we interact with those in the world. If we go to the city market and say our favorite cereal is not on the shelf and we ask the stock person where our favorite, and we begin to tear them down and yet they know that we're part of blank church or we, we know, they know that we claim to be a follower of Jesus, well surely they're going to think, well if that's somebody who represents Jesus, well then I sure don't want any of what they're drinking. You know what I'm saying? Like the world sees God by how we interact with the world. 
and how we interact with each other. We are not to be a people who do life and who do day by day without hope, but rather we do it with great hope, knowing that our hope is in the kingdom, and we're doing hope knowing that we pray to a Father who is in heaven, who is hearing us, who knows us, who is about our life. We do life with promise. We are living in the promise of what Paul says in Romans 8, 18 to 31. And we're going to pick up in just the latter part of that in 38 uh, through 39. It says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, things present, that's right now in this moment, nor things to come, that's future, nor powers, nor heights, this evil that we're talking about in Ephesians 6, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we do life with hope. We do life in the power of the glory of the gospel, knowing that we are children of the kingdom. So we look at life completely differently, so therefore we can interact differently. Therefore, what Paul is saying to us in Ephesians throughout the whole book, now this is a summation of all the book, coming up to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, is everything is about how we display the glory of God to the world. How we display and understand that we live life in a period of persecution, and it should not throw us off the rails, but we press on. So if you missed the last seven months, you haven't missed much because you just caught up with us. So for those of you who have been here for the last seven months, you could have said, well, you could have just said that in the beginning and then we would have just been right here. We've been through this for seven months. Why did we have to take seven months if you're just going to do it in five minutes? Well, we got to do something for seven months. So we come this morning to specifically focus on the words that God has given us through Paul here in Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 18. Look at what he says in verse 18. Now, it shouldn't surprise you that I'm going to focus on the words praying because I'm a person, like we, we talk about praying all the time here. Look at what he says in verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that the words may be given to me in the opening and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So we remember the emphasis of this section of Ephesians chapter 6 is to stand. Paul points out this again in verse 14 as he did in verse 11, 12, and 13. The emphasis is for us to stand, to stand firm, to stand in the strength of the Lord. So that we've been talking about over and over again is we are to stand as followers of Jesus as we engage in the battle. Think about this. We are to stand. Why? We don't stand because we're, we're succumbing to the battle. We don't stand because we're surrendering in battle. But we stand because we're engaging in the battle. Those are important verbs that we're talking about this morning. We are engaging in the battle. There are no sidelines for followers of Jesus. Okay, there's no, there's no clocking out. There's no checking out. There's no substituting out. But we are engaging in the battle. For those who have been brought from death to life, the reality is that we are engaged in active warfare. Okay, we are engaged in active warfare. We are engaged against the schemes of the devil. Look back up with me to verse 11. It says we are engaged against the schemes of the devil. We are not engaged against foes that we can necessarily see in front of us, but rather we are engaging spiritual forces of evil from the heavenly places. Now these are Paul's word that God has given us for this very purpose to understand. We are engaged in battle. This is one of our main points this morning. And I don't want us to just brush over this. But let this affect how we process the passage of what Paul is saying to us about how we pray. Think about this. The, rem- the reminder of Ephesians chapter 6 is that as followers of Jesus, we all, if you're a follower of Jesus, we all are actively engaged in the war against evil. This is not an optional course here. 
We don't get to sit back home and say, well, we're going to send out a few of the special ones in the battle, and the rest of us are going to stay home, and we're going to see how they do, and then we're going to hear reports on the radio. Right? I'm a, uh, my mind just wandered for a moment, so I'm going to tell you what it wandered to. Um, do you ever wonder what your pastor thinks about when he's up here? Like, uh, like uh, sorry, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I'm a huge, like, I, I love to listen. I'm a huge history person. And so I love, when I, whenever I have to travel or drive across the mountains, which is like a, it's a trek. Um, so when I do hospital visitations in Denver or in Salt Lake, like I download these old World War I and World War II history books. And so when you go back and you listen to the old books and you think about, they're, they're getting updates from the war from the BBC on the radio, like, you think about it, they're, they're so engaged in listening to the updates. Why, why are they listening to this in London? Because it greatly affected how they did life that day or that morning as they are going to work. Because why? Because they wanted to know how the advancement was happening on the front that was coming to their front door. Right? So, so uh, just, that just happened in my head because, but we're not a people as followers of Jesus. We don't get the option of saying, well, we're going to wake up in the morning and listening to the advancement of how it's going on the radio. Why? Because as followers of Jesus, we're all actively engaged in the battle. Now, why? Why? We're either actively engaged or we've already surrendered to evil. How? We're either engaged or surrendering. Now, what do I mean by surrendering? We're either surrendering to temptation or rationalization or by making our own selves God. Think about this with me as we go back to Genesis chapter 3. Let's look at engaging or surrendering in Genesis chapter 3. Before you think I'm all a looney tune. Adam and Eve had the opportunity to engage or surrender. What did they choose? They surrendered. How? They rationalized. Right? Satan came along and said, did God really say? So there's a rationalization effect that happened here. And the desire to say, did God really say? In, 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 our, in the minds now, we could go back and we could, we could really just parse this down, but we've done this over the last three or four weeks of really just taking Genesis chapters 1 through 3 and, and, and making it applicable to what we're reading in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. But what we see happen here is a rationalization of are we going to trust and love and worship God or are we going to make ourselves God in this moment? Because what is Satan's temptation here is you can be like God. So the ra rationalization is it's a piece of fruit. We can be like God. They choose, chose to be like God instead of choosing to trust and worship and love God. The same is true for all of us. We can engage in the battle or we can choose to rationalize. We can cho choose to show a lack of trust, love, and worship. And we can choose to make ourselves like God, making ourselves our own God. Think about how we do this. We do this in any moment of our lives. We do this in any way that we choose sin over worship. Any sin over worship. And so perhaps as we are getting to the end of the study, we would look at this and we come to the words that Paul gives us in verse 18. And Paul reminds us here that we are to be praying at all times. And we come to the end of this and we would discount the importance of these words and we'd just move on to the end. And even as I've been preparing for this over the last few weeks, I've wondered, well, if we've been talking about battle... And we're talking about battling evil and the forces of evil and all that what Paul says here in the beginning, we're, we're standing against 
the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic power. Like, let's just look at the word cosmic powers of the present darkness and against the spiritual forces. Like, if you're going to tell me that we're going to go up against the schemes of the devil, the principalities and all this stuff, shouldn't prayer be before this? Like, but then we step back and we again notice the words of Paul. He's writing to the church, going back up to verse 17. He says, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The expectation is, is that the church is already praying at all times. It's already praying. This is not an option. This is not a new course. This is not a new teaching. This is not a new expectation or a new way of life, but a reminder of who we are as followers of Jesus. It is a prayer that we continue as we commune with God, that we have a relationship with God, that we submit to the King as sovereign of our lives. It is this thought that Paul has in the midst of the battle that comes back to the church and exhorts the church, even, even while you are fighting. Think about it this way. Even while you are in the midst of the, the battle, even when things are not going well, even when the unexplainable happens, even when we don't have answers, even when we cannot figure out the next step, we stand. We stand firm in the strength of the Lord and we do not seek our own wisdom, but we seek the Lord. We go to the Lord what? Continuously. And we pray in all supplication. So we are constantly in communion with God. We are constantly in communication with God. The apostle actually provides three instructions here on prayer for the church. Paul instructs the church to pray in these distinct ways. Notice this. He says, pray at all times in all supplication in the spirit. And he says, pray for all the saints. Pray for all the saints. And then notice this at the end. He says, pray for me. Pray for Paul. Pray for me. Now you think about this, and we're going to get to this in a minute, so I'm not going to jump in. He says, pray for me. The greatest preacher, the greatest church planner, the greatest pastor to ever live. He says, pray for me. But when we, just beginning to look at that first exhortation he gives us, he says, pray at all times. What does that mean for us? So when we go back and think about what's going on in the context of this message to the church, Paul is under arrest. The church is facing persecution. This letter has been about confidence in the gospel and the purpose of the church and understanding that they're in battle and there's no retreat and there's no respite. There's no break. So we look at the first instruction of Paul. We look at understanding this in the picture of wartime. If we look at this through the eyes of you and I today, regardless of our current feelings as followers of Jesus, we are engaged in battle. The battle may seem small. The temptation for us may be to rationalize small choices. But the battle is nonetheless actual. Example, when you and I stop and think about this past week, how often did you rationalize doing something in your life that would be dishonoring to God in some way? In any way. Whether it be in your business or in your family or with your friends. In any situations. Friends, the question really is simplified when we ask the question, at what point did we choose sin this past week? Because perhaps when we step back and we say, well, Chad, I'm not really engaged in battle. I wouldn't really call it battle. I really... But at any moment that we step back from life and say, I chose sin. I chose to be dishonest in this way. I chose to not be 
great with my boss or with my manager. I chose not to do the best with my kids or with my family or with my spouse or with my friends. When we blatantly choose sin over choosing what is honoring to God, in that moment, we choose to be our own God rather choosing to trust and love and worship God. Friends, we're engaged. We're engaged. The battle is real. Perhaps for some of us, that thing might seem small. For others, it could be a monumental thing. It might seem monumental. Choosing to be faithful to our spouses. Choosing not to steal from our place of employment. Choosing to be honest. But friends, the reality is, is all sin equals death. All sin equals death. Let us be clear on this one. The sin in the garden was eating a piece of fruit. And you say, well, no, no, no. It wasn't about eating a piece of fruit. It was about being obedient to God. Well, yes. But every sin is about being obedient to God. So therefore, all sin is equal. Because all sin is about trusting and worshiping and loving God, about putting God in his rightful place in our lives. So yes, all sin is equal sin. It's about worshiping God. It's about choosing to let God be God and not about making ourselves God. This sin led to death and destruction in the garden. There are no small sins because why? The war is real. If we are a follower of Jesus, we need to be able to admit, one, that we are all sinners. Two, that we are engaged in the battle. If we are not engaged in the battle, then we are actively surrendering to sin, whether it be gossip, adultery, fornication, theft, or discrimination. They're all sins. And if we're not actively engaged, we're actively surrendering. Think about that this week. Are we actively engaged or are we actively surrendering to whatever blank sin is happening in your life, to whatever blank thought process is happening in your life? Are you engaging in the battle or are you engaging and surrendering to the battle so that your life can seem easier in the moment? Friends, it may be easier in the moment, but it's not going to be easier in your life. So Paul teaches us here in Ephesians chapter 6 that we are to be a people that pray at all times with the Spirit, with all prayers and supplications. Paul is teaching to a people that are actively engaging in war and teaching us in the manner of Jesus. For we must recognize that just as we did not save ourselves, we did not earn our salvation, neither can we win this war. We pray at all times, for in praying we submit to the Father that he is God. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, which we alluded to earlier, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. These very words are our battle cry against all evil, for we recognize the King... We declare him as king. We recognize him as Lord. When we are tempted to trust in ourselves, we are tempted to trust in our own power, when we are tempted to trust in our own ability, we pray, our Father, when we seek our riches and our fame and our glory and our great future for our family, our great future for our children, a bigger house, a larger bank account, we remember the words, your kingdom come, your will be done. And honestly, can we say this, and, and not out of repetition, but with true and submissive heart, the God of the universe who makes gravity happen, who makes oxygen work. There's not enough oxygen up on this mountain though. Who makes rain and mountains and dogs, not cats, and us who made all of this and we can trust that he loves us, desires, has a great plan for us. We can trust in Exodus 3 that he hears us and he even is a part and desires us to know him. This is what it means to pray. 
So we can't honestly pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, while seeking greater kingdoms for ourselves, while seeking greater bank accounts for ourselves, while seeking greater names for ourselves, while seeking to climb and make things greater for ourselves. Why? Because it's not about your kingdom come, your will be done. It's about my kingdom being better, my name being made greater, my bank account being made greater. Those don't go together. Those are opposites. When we step back for a moment and say, hey, he keeps the earth spinning, he keeps oxygen working, he keeps gravity working, he keeps it raining when it needs to rain, we can trust him. We can trust him. John MacArthur, a pastor in California at his church for the last 50 plus years, says it this way, prayer for a follower of Jesus is just as natural as oxygen is to a human being. Think about that. Prayer for a follower of Jesus is just as natural and necessary as oxygen is for a human being. We cannot survive without praying. We do not do life without the relationship that comes with the Father. We must remember the words that Paul gave us in Ephesians chapter 2. Let this sink in again this morning. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It's not you might have walked, it's what we once walked. This is all of us in this room. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you once walked. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're still walking. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is not an allegory or mere illustration. The purpose of this is this is the reality of our lives without Christ. But he continues on in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, in verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. In verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. So in our brokenness, In our defeat, God redeemed us. He called us by name, made us his children. Friends, we do not pray because it's an obligation. We pray because it's our right. We talk about rights all the time in a Western culture. It's our right to pray. It is our honor to pray. It is our privilege as children of God to pray. To pray. Hear this. In what we see in verse 18 of chapter 2, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We have access to God, the God who put everything here. Think about this. The God who created the planet, made it spin, the God who put the animals here, the God who put Adam and Eve in the garden, the God who allowed this to happen, the God who made, decided he wanted trees, the God who decided he wanted clouds and the sun and a moon and the stars. We have access to that God. Like, I know I'm from Mississippi, and y'all consider Mississippians small-minded, but that's a pretty big deal. Like, huge. You have access to the God who decided that all this was going to be, and he said what? It is good. Like, we don't have to go to somebody and say, hey, when you have time, can we talk to the guy who works for the guy who works for the guy who works for the... It's not like trying to go to Capitol Hill and try to arrange a meeting with a congressman and you get an aide who's an aide to the aide to the aide to the aide who might relay the message three, three stages up to the congressman. 
And if you're lucky or angry enough, who might relay it up to somebody else. No, we get direct access to God. Like it's much better than our governmental system, you know what I'm saying? No offense if you work in government, but it is. Or if you're offended, so be it, talk to God. But notice what he continues to say in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are members with the household of God. So we have access to the king. We don't have to go through anybody else. We are his children who he has redeemed us. In John 15 we read he is coming back for us. We know certainly that he hears the cries of his children as we talked about in Exodus chapter 3. So we pray and we pray always. We follow the example of Jesus in John 17. We pray intimately desiring the face of God so that we may stand firm in him. In him. But secondly, Paul exhorts us to pray for the saints. So in the same way that we are in this battle, each of us, every one of us, we should remember that we are all here engaging in the battle. This is not an individual battle that we are fighting. We are not on this journey alone. We are not the only ones out here facing this temptation, facing fear, isolation, pain, and lament or whatever it is that the battle you're currently in is, is, is like. We remember in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Verse 5, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In verse 11, And he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature men to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we go back to our main point. We must either recognize that we are actively engaging and standing firm in the war or we have succumbed to the temptation and given in. So the question as followers of Jesus is how often, how often while attempting to stand firm do we feel that we are isolated? Do we feel that we are alone? Do we feel that we are on an island? Or perhaps that no one else can relate to what we're going through in this moment. No one can understand the circumstances that we are going through. Friends, these are the lies and the schemes of the devil that we read in Ephesians chapter 6. This is why Paul exhorts us in chapter, in chapter 6 verse 11 to put on the whole armor of God. Why? For we stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and the cosmic powers. Satan himself desires that we believe that we are alone, isolated, broken, beyond repair, that we are in the battle that no one else has been in or can understand. But friends, we are in this battle together. Sure. Sure, we've, on the face of everything, our battles might look different than others around us. We remember the words of the gospel. As we remember the words of Ephesians chapter 4, we remember the truth that God has placed us here together. He has placed us in a church, in a family, part of the kingdom to represent the justice and righteousness of God to the world. 
Some of us function as hands and feet, others veins and vessels, others as eyes, legs and arms. We all play an important part in the body. And if one of our body comes under attack, that part is not alone. It's not isolated. We are in this together. It affects the whole body. We are either standing firm or we are all surrendering to evil. Think about it. Go back to your village in lunch that we were talking about earlier. You're sitting there at lunch and all of a sudden somebody comes up and you're just having a grand old time and you're eating lunch and somebody comes up and just chops off your arm. You're all going to not go to Village Inn today. <laughs> I have nothing against Village Inn. I know the legs go there a lot. You're going to notice that your arm is all of a sudden not attached to your body. I would hope. If not, we have other problems. You should see a doctor. But you're going to notice that all of a sudden your arm went missing. Why? Because it is attached to you. It functions. You were probably picking up a salad or a sandwich or something with that arm just minutes prior and all of a sudden it's not there. It's a problem. Why? Because it is a functioning part of who you are and how you do life. The same thing with us. When one of us comes under attack, when one of us stops functioning the way it's supposed to, it affects how we do life. Why? Because we're connected. We're part of the family. We're part of this. When something comes under attack, it matters. We notice. It affects who we are. Ephesians chapter 4 is not stuck in the middle of the book so that we forget it. It's not stuck in here so that it's something that we don't uh, apply to our lives, but it's stuck in here so that we remember, we remember that if something's not functioning, it's going to cause the rest of the body to lose its ability to function. This is why, corporately, we pray for those who are out of town. We pray for those who are sick and grieving, those who are having surgery every Sunday. This is not meant to be announcements about who is currently sick in the hospital or who has lost loved ones. You're rather a call to the kingdom of God to come, to reign in our church family, for us to recognize the Father in the midst of our battles as a church. We don't pray for these people just for the fact that you can be sitting back there, oh, I didn't know they were having surgery. I didn't know they had lost their grandmother. I didn't know that this was going on. No, it's because when somebody is hurting, when someone is missing, when someone, it affects how we function. It affects how God has equipped us to do ministry. It matters. It matters. Because why? We are either engaged in the battle or we are surrendering to the battle. As a church, we can be actively engaging in the war or as a church, we can be surrendering to, from the war saying, we are not actively able to do battle anymore because we are surrendering in the, in the ways of temptation. We are surrendering in the ways of gossip, slander. We are surrendering. As a church, this can be who we are because we are not engaging in this together. We are not in the midst of this anymore. We as a church need to call and edify each other to remember the king is on the throne. We need to remember that God is sovereign, that we have not been left to our own devices, but the Lord himself is guiding, loving us, and directing our path towards what? Home. John 14, 15, abide in me and I will produce the fruit. John 15, if I leave you, I will go to, to prepare a place for you and I will surely come back for you. These are things that we need to remember. For when we lose a body, we need to remember that it's detrimental to, to us. Just as detrimental as it would be for you to lose a physical part of your body. God has brought us together for the purpose of growing together in maturity and wisdom towards Christ. And we do that together as the body of Christ. Each person using what? Ephesians chapter 4. The gifts that God has uniquely placed in each of us. 
So we have a function and a purpose to grow together in faith and knowledge to mature to the measure of the fullness of Christ. And we do this better when we are functioning fully together in love, submission, worship, and unity. So when someone is in the throes of the battle, we do not stand on the sidelines. We do not go make our popcorn and sweet tea and just sit there and watch. We take up arms and we go to battle with them. We pray that the force of the kingdom of heaven, that the glory of the kingdom of heaven would be displayed in and through this church family and that the body would be found standing, standing firm and strong in the strength of the Lord. Even this morning as we gather waiting for the service to start, perhaps this afternoon as you go to lunch, not at Village Inn obviously, we engage with each other, we link arms with each other, friends, Please leave here and not, not dismiss this, but we engage with each other. This is not a theoretical battle that we are engaged in. It's real. It's as real as life and death itself. God, in his knowledge, gave us the church. He gave us the church, and we see this in Acts 2, 6, Romans 16, 1 Timothy 5, Hebrews 13. He gave us the church so that we can link arms for the edification of each other, for the pointing of each other towards the gospel, for the pointing of each other towards the kingdom. So when we come into our small groups, when we come into this room, let us link arms with each other so that we can be united in the pursuit of the kingdom, united in prayer, united in worship, growing together in maturity towards Christ as we stand firm in the battle. It matters. We don't just say, how are you doing? Okay, and know that nobody's okay. Everybody is in something. We link arms together in the battle. Finally, Paul says, he says, pray for me. Notice this, friends. The humility and the grace in the words of Paul Pray also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is Paul. One of my favorite passages in all the scriptures, Acts 26. What happens in Acts 26? Paul is standing before Bernice, Festus, and King Agrippa. And what is he doing? He is screaming the gospel at King Agrippa. Now why is this important and why do I like this so much? Because King Agrippa is the one who eventually sends Paul to Rome. And where is Paul when he's writing Ephesians? He's in Rome in chains. Agrippa had the ability to let Paul go. But in Acts 26, Paul is standing there proclaiming the gospel in all boldness, declaring the kingdom of heaven for all to hear and for all to see. This is Paul declaring, declaring the gospel. This apostle, this preacher, perhaps the greatest preacher the church has ever known, this founder of churches, and he's asking the people to pray for him. It's because he desired to follow Jesus more than ever. He desired his dependence to be completely on God. He understood 
his weakness. This is the man who went to Corinth in weakness and fear and in trembling. There was no self-confidence in the Apostle Paul. There's nothing that we can see here. He knew what he was doing. He knew who he was representing. He knew that the power that was against him, he talks about it here in verse 11. He knew that he was against the schemes of the devil, the powers of darkness. He was one who understood what he was facing. His one fear was that at some point or other he might fail his God and the army of the living God. He was in a very prominent position and just one mistake would destroy the ministry that God brought him to. So he trembles and he asks the church in Ephesus to pray for him. And he asks the other churches who this letter would be circulated to to pray for him. And he doesn't leave them in any doubt what they were to pray. Notice he says that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the gospel. So when the apostle wrote these words, he was a prisoner, but he doesn't ask them to pray that he might be set free from prison. He doesn't say, pray that God would allow me to be released so that the ministry may continue. Even though he was sick, he doesn't ask that he might be healed. Paul was never merely subjective. He never considered himself primarily. He was thinking that others might hear the gospel. He was interested in one thing only, and that thing was that always, that others might hear the gospel. He remembers how he came to faith on the road to Damascus, namely the preaching of the gospel. And here he desires that Christians pray for the preaching and the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Friends, when we look back on Ephesians chapter 6, when we look back on all of the letter of Ephesians, what is the purpose of the battle? His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How are we as followers of Jesus, as a church, living our lives? How are we seeking the kingdom of heaven? Are we actively engaged in the battle or are we surrendering? Are we actively engaged knowing that God is on the throne praying at all times because we pray at all times because it is our submission. We go back to all of Ephesians chapter 5 and, and chapter 6 and it points us to one thing. We submit. Why? We submit because we humbly recognize that we are not God and he is. We humbly submit because we recognize that we need others. The message of submission is not that someone is greater than us, but that we need each other. And not only do we need each other, but we come to Ephesians chapter 6, the ultimate submission is we submit to God because he is on the throne. And in the midst of the battle, we pray. We pray at all times because in him we are made more than conquerors. So we stand and we stand firm. Are we engaged? Are we engaged in standing firm? Are we engaged in prayer? Are we engaged in linking arms together? And are we engaged in praying? Praying always. Peace be to the brothers, verse 23, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray together this morning.